Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for tuning in on this week's Led by the Word. Um, I feel like so much that we've read from Genesis to now has come to this point. Mm. And it, it's, it's been the journey of getting to Israel, and now we're seeing all this kind of fall apart in a horrible, horrible sense. So I'm turning it over to Jesse. Jesse's going to lead us through this. But first, we're in 2 Kings. I think I said 1 Kings. We're in 2 Kings chapter 9. Get the Bible course. This is 100% free. We're having people sign up dozens and dozens and dozens. Mm -hmm. uh, the other day, we filled up a carload of new Bible course participants, like crates of boxes of Bible course. So excited about what's happening. I, I challenge you. It's 100% free, just deep studying of the Word. you got to be a part of this. Go ahead, Jesse. Absolutely. And to that end, I also want to say it's exciting to see people get excited about getting into God's Word. Um, for those of you who don't know, when you sign up for the Bible course, we start you on the New Testament, generally. Um, but once you get to the Old Testament, too, there's a lot of history that we don't always necessarily have time to cover in Sunday school lessons and, you know, deep Bible studies and stuff like that. So it's it's nice. It gives you a space to really study and pray. I read something that was, I did not know the statistic. In the 1800s, they broke 20% of the world became literate. And they're like, wow, 20% of civilization yeah. can read now. And now we're in the year 2000. It was over 84%. Mm. And, you know, the Bible wasn't made for the scrolls weren't written, the men weren't anointed, the women weren't anointed, the stories weren't given for just a leader to read a, a thing. Right. This is for you. And right now, if you're watching this, my guess is from our data, you're watching this on a cell phone. And you have 100% access to the Word of God any point in your day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, don't let the enemy take away from you. God, is, God has made it to where the world can read. And it's not just so you can read... You know, the cool things happening in the news. It's not just so you can read stock charts. This is, or to read a book to your child. This is so we can get a deep understanding of his plan for us, the history before, the, the design of this everything. So I challenge you, understand the importance and access we have today and how blessed we are. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, with that, I'm going to jump into Second um, Kings chapter 9. I told Micah before we started recording that I dubbed this the cleaning house chapter. There's a lot of cleaning house going on here. And if you're not familiar with that saying, a lot of times it applies to local government. We recently had a local government change. And people were like, we need a clean house. We need a clean house. We need new faces. There's a lot of cleaning house going on in this chapter and the next. So the chapter opens up with Elisha telling one of his student prophets, basically, to go to Ramoth Gilead. Gilead? to anoint Jehu as king of Israel. And I do find it interesting that in verse 3, Elisha's like, go in there and then run out the door. And you guys think I might be exaggerating here, but at the end it says, I have anointed thee king over Israel, then open the door and flee and tarry not. So the situation for preface is that it's kind of tense. They're still at war. It's He just needs to get in, get out, like let's do this. So that's what the prophet does. He goes and anoints Jehu as king over Israel. And he, you know, explains, like, listen, you're going to bring about the destruction of Ahab's household. Um, I also want to put a pin in this and go back to something that Mike and I have touched on, which is 1 Kings, 2 Kings, not necessarily in chronological order. So when we left 1 Kings, um, both Ahab and Jezebel were ceased. But in this, excuse me, 2 Kings... Um, Jezebel is very much alive, and we will see the death of Jezebel shortly. So I just want to touch base if you're like, wait, didn't we kind of cover this? Yes and no. We're going into some more details here. 
So Jehu is anointed king, um, and currently he's like the captain of the soldiers. So he has some soldiers with him, and they just rally behind him immediately. They're like, yeah, Jehu's our king. Like, let's go. Let's do this. So they decide, okay, let's go over to um, king, I believe his name was Joram. So we got to start there, right? So he won some land that was really, it belonged to Israel. Um, so like, we're going to start there. So they ride over there. Well, one of the watchmen for Joram was like, hey, some dude's coming like pretty quickly. Like maybe we should send a horseman out. So Joram's like, yes, let's send a horseman out and greet him and see if he comes in peace or not, right? Like this wasn't, you couldn't just pick up a phone and be like, hey, I'm coming to your house to murder you. Like you didn't know the intents here. So like, let's, let's figure it out. So the horseman comes and he says, do you come in peace? Like, are you coming in peace? And the reply in verse 18 is like, I don't know the word to describe it other than maybe snappy or sombering. I'm just going to read it. In verse 18, it says, so there went one on horseback to meet him. That's Jehu meet him and said, thus saith the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what hast thou have to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. And the watchman told saying the messenger came to them, but he did not come again. So basically, the horseman rode out there, was like, is this peace? And Jehu was like, what do you all know about peace? Get behind me. So he started riding behind Jehu. He's like, oh my. <laughs> so he never came back. Well, the watchman saw this and was like, um, so he didn't come back. So they sent out a second one. And almost the identical situation happens. He's like, do you come in peace? He's like, what do you know about peace? Get behind me. So the watchman sees it again. And I love in verse 20, I need this like as a bumper sticker so, verse 20, it says, And the watchman told, saying, He came unto them, and cometh not again. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. Like, how in a land where we're only doing chariots, this is not cars, mind you, that he is known for his furious driving, right? Like, that's, I need people, I need, I know some people need that bumper sticker, like, drives like Jehu. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. His driving reputation preceded him. That's so funny. I read it. I was like, how did they know how he drives? So, Joram actually goes out to meet with him. And he even asks. Like, I feel like it's one of the situations where you know in your gut, this is not a peaceful situation, but he has to ask. And he's like, are you coming in peace? So, Jehu gives him, like, a really mean answer in verse 22. It says, when Joram saw Jehu, that he said, is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many? So Joram, um, at this point, realizes it's not in peace. You know, those two horsemen were not doing it. He talks directly to him and is like, Oh my goodness, so he flees. And then Jehu basically draws a bow and arrow out and shoots him. This is kind of graphic. Is it okay? Oh, yeah. Okay. Shoots him straight in the back between the shoulder blades is what the Bible tells us. And it comes out his heart. He falls dead in his chariot. So that was the first guy that was removed. Um, and then he ends up killing basically his other ally. So then near the end of nine is when we get to, surprise, surprise, the death of Jezebel. So Jezebel hears all this is happening. And it says she paints her face. And there's been lots of commentaries on that. A lot of people are like, oh, she wore makeup. I'm like, you know what? As someone who's worn makeup, I don't think I'm going to You know, like, this is not the time. Like, it was more of like a war paint kind of deal. So she looks out the window. Big mistake. Huge. Huge mistake. So she sees Jehu come up and ride. <laughs> Calls out to him, right? Kind of sarcastically. 
So Jehu sees her looking out the window, and in verse 32, it says, Who is on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs. They're unnamed, and yet here they are being the heroes. So he calls to the eunuchs. He says in verse 33, throw her down. So they threw her down out the window. I think it's safe to say she probably was already dead at this point when she hit the ground. And I think it's safe to say she wasn't loved very much. No, because these basically these eunuchs were, you know, they were servants in the house. So... But she was a very wicked woman. She probably did not treat her yeah, servants very well. That's what I'm saying. There was no negotiation. There was no begging. It was one sentence. There were and they were like, okay. Hush. <laughs> okay. So he ends up trampling her. Um, so Jehu comes in the house and starts eating. And he, it, I don't know if he has like this moment of this is what's right or, you know, kind of conceding. But he's like, you know, you guys can go out and bury her. She is a king's daughter. Well, that was verse 33, I think. Um, I'm sorry, verse 34. He said, And when he was come in, he did eat and drink and said, Go, see now this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. But in verse 35 it says, And they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palm of her hands. And this all needed to happen so that, you know, the prophet Elijah's words would come to pass, right? Like that the Lord had given him about, you know, Jezebel dying so badly. So we see at the end of verse, I'm sorry, the end of chapter 9. Okay, so Jezebel is dead. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, you know, everyone in the palace, we're good, right? But in verse 10, we see even more death and destruction. Um, I actually titled that, House Cleanout Continued. Um, it's a little shorter, if I can jump into it. Um, it says Ahab had 70 sons. Now, I'm not sure if that's including his grandsons. Some commentaries say, you know, that's, he didn't have 70 sons, but it wasn't unusual to have a lot of sons back then, especially if you're in a position of power. So Jehu had a proposition for the leaders of the cities that these sons were in. And he said, listen, raise you up a king, fight for him out of these sons. Or alternatively, you can give me their heads in a basket, basically. So the leaders of, I guess, basically what was like Samaria at that time, they were like, uh, this guy stood against two kings. We're not kings. We can't stand up against them. So they deliver the heads in a basket to him. So I was thinking in verse 11, I'm like, okay, the house is pretty much clean. Chapter 10, verse 11, you know, we've got Ahab's dead, Jezebel's dead, all their descendants are dead. Like, we're good, right? No, it, we're, we keep going. So in verse 11... Anyone that was like a kinsfolk, um, any of his priests, it says at the end of verse 11, until he left him none remaining. This is all of Ahab's family, all the people that served him, super dead. I'm like, okay, we're good. But it says that in verse 12, he arose and departed and came to Samaria, and he was at a shearing house, right? So Jehu met with the brethren of Ahaziah, the king of Judah, who was kind of the ally of Joram, and said, Who are you? And they answered, We are the brethren of Ahaziah, and we go down to salute the children of the king and queen. Yeah, those people that just got murdered. So he had them taken alive and ended up killing them. So this was like friends of the ally. Like, he's super cleaning house. He's not leaving anyone. So Jehu meets up with Jehonadab, and they kind of form this pack. And they're like, yeah, we'll be allies. It's going to be great. So they came to Samaria, and again, additional people that remained loyal to Ahab were killed. So then they do this great big mastermind trick, right? So if you remember from 
our previous teachings, one of the biggest false gods was Baal. Mm. So they had this huge place for Baal where they worshipped him. So Jehu calls out and was like, yo, isn't Baal just the greatest? He's like the best. Like, I'm like such a worshiper of Baal. No, he was not. He's like, you know what? I'm such a worshiper. Like, let's all gather together because I have like this mega sacrifice I want to like offer to him. And like, let no one, you know, stay behind that, you know, truly worships Baal. So they pack the house literally out, right? With all of these worshipers. And then once they're all in there, he's like, all right, we're killing everybody. He kills all the worshipers of Baal. So he is beyond cleaning house in here. But then we get down to where he is, you know, he's done all this in the name of the Lord. He's done this so the prophecies could be fulfilled. He's done all of this bloodshed as he was pretty much well commanded. And then in verse 30 of chapter 10, it says, And the Lord said unto Jehu, Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. And this was such a big deal because in the Old Testament, when you were had these promises of God that went down to your generations and your children's children, your children's children's children, like that was huge. What like what a higher blessing. But immediately in verse 31, it says, But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. And immediately we see that it says that the Lord began to cut Israel short because of this. And it, it was mind-blowing. You know, I read all of this where he was a mighty man. He was anointed king. He got to it. You know, he took out the enemy, literally. And yet... At the end of it, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to walk in the ways of the Lord. After all that, and it's like, he's like, yeah, this is right in mine eyes. You know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And it was just so tragic. Like, I see people do that, especially when they first get saved, maybe, and don't have discipleship or don't submit themselves to the Lord and the word where they have this zealous spirit and they're on fire. And then it's so tragic. You see them just kind of fade mm-hmm. out or don't continue. And when I was reading this, I was like, this is just tragic. Like, the Lord wanted to bless him so bad. The Lord is so excited when you fulfill his word, you know, and he's like, you're on fire for him. And then if we're not careful, we just kind of fall away, do our own thing, and let sin just sprout up in our lives. Uh, One commentary that the title for this little story that was so sad, they titled it God's Warning Turning Into God's Wrath. And I look at this dude. I've been in my mind just thinking of him as uh, Samson 2.0. Mm. He was anointed literally to destroy the enemy. Right. Can we just agree on that? Like this guy is going place to place, house to house, location to location, not teaching law, not teaching scroll, just m- mass murder, execution. Mm-hmm. And if you think God is never going to lose, uh, there's here's my word of the day, apostasy. You ever heard that word? So. Just just found this word. Uh, it is an act of refusing to continue to follow, to obey, or to recognize a religious faith. The commentary said, I feel the children of Israel are going through a mass apostasy. And what it is, they're just giving up on God and they're following Baal. And we see God had a word for them. God had a plan for them. And my thought is exactly your thought. It's getting cut short. And it's getting full of turmoil. So for hundreds, well not hundreds, for a couple hundred years... The people were falling into apostasy, and God is giving them kings that show that. And because of this, it's just like a race straight to the bottom. 
over and over again. But here's, here's what touches me. So Elijah comes in and you see Elijah surrounded by all these prophets and all of the other prophets of the land have been ex executed by Jezebel, all the good prophets. So the bad prophets are left. And you're like, oh man, it's all these bad guys versus one. So then we know the story of Elijah. I mean, Elijah on the mountain. Yeah. Then we come forward. Now we have Elisha. Elisha has pretty much a school of ministry. He's building up the future. And God is still fighting for this nation of apostasy because there's a remnant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can look around and we can say, well, this is bad. This is bad. This is bad. God is fighting for us because there's people left. Right. And as long as you stay faithful to God, as long as you seek God, as long as you don't do what this guy did, you know, be like, okay, I want to keep it with anointing. I want to keep with the workflow as long as I like it. But soon as something changes, no, I'm out. Uh, no, as long as we stay faithful, God will always have a remnant. God will always have a blessing. God will always have an anointing. God will always have a people in every land. We can look over and we can say, well, America, that's the place where people serve God. No, there is a remnant everywhere, I believe. Mm -hmm. I, I think you can go to any country on earth. And you can find somebody that's worshiping God. Amen. You can find somebody seeking God. So this is uh, roughly written. Okay, we're coming to a close in Second Kings. Mm -hmm. Oh, pause. Got to say this. I am going to go ahead a little bit, a little forward, because I'm so excited about this. It's touched me so much. Next Thursday, be praying for us if you're watching this. There will be a baby <laughs> in the Wynn household. So that's exciting. But surprise for you guys, you're going to have some guest speakers come in. Uh, led by the words, going to keep going. Yes. Give us an amen on that, Jesse. I'm excited about that. So 560 BC, roughly 2,500, 2,600 years ago is when this book is ending. And in this book, we see punishment come. And there's going to be a huge, huge, horrific scattering of these people. These people that come from Abraham, that were anointed by God, that went into slavery in Egypt, that were delivered from Egypt, that were given the land of Canaan, that fought the giants, are going to lose it. And this is sad. So um, so then we go back to 1428, another thousand years earlier, to Deuteronomy chapters 4, 23 through 27. Now keep in mind, right now in the current time of 2 Kings 560 BC, these people are going to be sent to Babylon. They're going back into some horrible, horrible way. But in Deuteronomy chapters 4, verse 23, Take heed unto yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which made with you, and make you a graven image or a likeness of anything which the Lord God hath forbidden thee. Remember Baal? Mm. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, and even a jealous God. Tell that to yourself. Say, my God's jealous. When thou shalt beget children, and children's children, ye shall have remained long in the land, so this is the land of Canaan, this is the land of Israel, and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or a likeness of anything and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. I shall call heaven and earth to witness against you this day and ye shall soon utterly perish off the land whereunto ye go over to Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days there, but shall utterly be destroyed and the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in the number among the heathen wherewith the Lord shall lead you. He's telling them, this land you're about to possess, you're going to fall in so much wickedness, so much idol, idolatry, mm -hmm. that I'm going to have to scatter you and punish you. Hey, could you imagine Moses? Like, what? What's, what's all this about? What's all this about? But then, but then we have a new prophecy. 
We have a, a great prophecy, Jeremiah 29, verse 14. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. I will bring you again to the place where when I cause you to be carried away captive. So Israel, all the God's people scattered around. Some of them went to Syria, uh, all these places, a bunch went to Germany. That all over the globe, these people were scattered. Thousands of years later, in 1940, we're seeing a huge gathering back to Israel. Mm. We're literally seeing, in um, Elisha's time, he is seeing the prophecy of 1,400 years, or 1,000 years ago of Moses. He's like, oh my goodness, there was a prophecy of a scattering? This is it. 1,000 years ago in that scroll that uh, was written down, these are the people that are getting scattered. And then hear us, um, 1,500 years later, we're seeing the prophecy. I mean, uh, 2,500 years later, we're seeing the prophecy of the gathering. Hmm. So the prophecy of the gathering is telling us that in the last days uh, that they would be gathered. So you can read this in Jeremiah 29, but also you can go to Zechariah chapter 14, and it goes into far more detail from verses like 3 through verses 20, talking about God gathering together his people back to the land and appointing the capital. If you look back in 2019 or 2020, the capital was put back mm -hmm. for the first time in thousands of years. So we're seeing literal end-time prophecy manifested. And, you know, I, I think I was born for such a time as this. It's, it gets me so emotional. This is so real that thousands of years later from when Moses is talking to the scattering to uh, they come in with the prophecy that there would be a gathering. Mm -hmm. And it happens. And, you know, word by word, precept by precept, this is all going to come to pass. So if you think, one, this is a very convicting sermon, you ain't getting nothing by God. Mm-hmm. God can say something 6,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 500 years ago. It will happen. It is guaranteed. It is, it, there's nothing that can come against that. And thing number two, the same side, if God told me something, you can't kill a promise. Amen. Pastor wrote that book. You can get that book that he's still giving it away for free. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. It costs us a lot of money to get those books. But you can't stop the word of God. Right. These people scattered. Uh, I, I was reading statistics. In Israel, it was showing the tribes that there was like 800 of this tribe left in the land of Israel, 600 of this tribe left in the land of Israel in 1907. Now, it's like 79% of them are back. A mm. 100% uh, of one tribe is back. And it was showing, going through statistics of the tribe, of how they're right now, not 10,000 years ago, not 500 years ago, the last 70 years, it's all gathering back together. And you think that is literal manifestation of a prophecy in Zechariah and uh, what was the other book? Zechariah and, and Jeremiah. So you, if you want to read more about this, this stuff is it's unbelievable. You can go to Jeremiah chapter 29 and Zechariah chapter 14. Amazing to see. And it shouldn't be amazing, but to me, it's just so cool to see God's word just happening. Oh, yeah. When he says something and then it's just boom. I can do this. This is what I promise. But it's timing. I think where my limitation in my mind is the longer the hundreds of years doesn't make it less likely, doesn't make it less powerful. I think we lose sight to look for it. Yes. You know how the Bible tells us to look to the eastern skies? He's going to be splitting those soon. Mm -hmm. And then because it didn't happen in my great-grandfather's generation or my grandfather's generation or my dad's generation, sometimes I look to the eastern sky just to see some sunrise or some stars. But we got to have that expectation that there are these promises left. 
And I think that's where we as Christians need to straighten our shoulders, get deep into this word, understand the promises, understand the warnings. You know how they say if if we don't learn from our past, we're doomed to repeat it. Yes. This is so biblical because if we learn from this stuff and we're looking, we're watching and we're praying, we have such a higher chance of success for God's kingdom. So I want to encourage you, do not think for a second this Bible is just for my pastor. Do not think for a second, long as I watch a weekly podcast of someone talking about the Word of God for a little bit, I've got enough. No, you have to get in here daily. Had a wonderful call last night. Brian, thank you so much for calling me. He said, man, I was in the Word, and I had like this, I'm going to call it epiphany. Is I can't remember the word he used, but I told him, I said, that wasn't it at all. I said, God literally spoke to you. And I said, the Bible ain't for leaders. The Bible ain't for pastors. The Bible ain't for reverends. The Bible ain't for bishops. The Bible's for Christians. Amen. And I said, you were in there and God was directly speaking into your heart while you were reading words on a page. And those words on a page were history. Those words on the page were prophecy. Those words on the page were deliverance. Those words on the page were healing. And it is so much good for you. And it's so much good for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to be honest. I'm so excited about this baby. I'm telling you, I, I, I can't stand it. I'm just, I'm ready to run. How you feeling? Good. He's been kicking me this entire podcast. He's been kicking <laughs> Today's a good podcast. Jesse didn't, we didn't have to pause and cut for her to go throw up. Yes. This has been a really good podcast. Um, take a moment, like this and share this. Go study those chapters and read chapters 9, 10, and 11. Um, God told Moses this would happen. I hate to see it happen. Mm -hmm. God told Moses this would happen. So adultery is bad. And you know, sometimes I'm like, well, America doesn't have a lot of idols. We have a ton of idols. We just don't have Baal. We don't have golden calves. But we have a ton of idols. It's just not as obvious because we don't have temples, you know. Yeah, we don't. I say we don't worship stuff. We worship so much stuff in this country. Uh, so don't for a second read this and think, well, America's not doing this. America's doing this on a lot larger scale. Right. America's doing this in a lot sadder way. So uh, be praying, be seeking God and saying, God, give me the knowledge, show me in the scripture to where I don't get tricked by this stuff, to where I don't get trapped by this stuff, so I can save my family from this stuff, so I can save my future from this stuff. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for joining Anthony Wynn Ministries. If you'd like to see more, join us for our Miracle Night Prayer Service. Miracle Night happens every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time where we join together in prayer and watch God move. If you'd like to participate in Miracle Night or join us for our other projects, you can follow us at Oasis Ministries on Facebook or follow us at Anthony Wynn on YouTube. We also want to say a special thank you to our partners of Anthony Wynn Ministries. Your gifts make it possible to give free ministry material to those in need. If you aren't already a partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. You can become a partner through our website at anthonywin.org or calling 1-877-226-4088. And lastly, if you ever need prayer, please call us at 1-877-226-4088 or go to our website at anthonywin.org. Thank you and God bless.